This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this show's for you. Hi there, I'm Laura Cave, Head of Marketing here at Brella, and I'm here with my co-host, our Chief Revenue Officer, Mike Zarillo, for Better Benefits Episode 11. Today, we're going to be talking to Amit Bensal. He is a principal at Digitalis Ventures and an investor in Brella. Amit brings a truly global perspective on healthcare delivery and insurance innovation. So I'm really excited to hear what he sees around the corner for us in 2021 and beyond. Mike, this is the first time we've had an investor on the show. Do you keep up much with the broader trends in tech and in the investing space? Hey, Laura, I, I think more than ever, I, I, uh, I have, you know, it's, it's hard not to, uh, wake up and and see all of the good stuff happening around us from a from a technology perspective certainly in the you know employee benefits space but as you know it can be a bit challenging to keep up with all that fast movement and and trends especially when you're heads down building a new company like we are here at Brella which is why I'm really glad to have Amit with us here today I think brokers and employers continue to be very hungry for ways to simplify automate and, and most importantly, solve all the challenges that they have on their plates. So uh, it's great to have them with us today on uh, on the show. And, and I think uh, we'll be able to bring some really interesting and early insights to our audience uh, on uh, these important topics. Yeah, definitely. You know, we started this podcast because we wanted to talk about building better benefits. And sometimes that requires building whole new companies and inventing new ways of doing things. And so Brella is just one example of that, but there are so many more things out there that are, that are just getting started and are growing now. So I'm really excited to have Amit here today to tell us more about what's happening across the healthcare ecosystem and, you know, have a, have a look with us at the impact that that could have on the benefit space. Yeah, agreed. So let's uh, jump into it. Let's introduce everyone to Amit. After years at GE Healthcare and working on healthcare delivery in rural India, Amit joined Mars Incorporated before landing in venture capital. As Laura mentioned, today he's a principal at Digitalis Ventures, where they invest in entrepreneurs and inventors and scientists who are developing new products and services across the entire healthcare ecosystem. Amit, it is great to have you here today. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Laura. So I think it would be great to have our audience hear from you on how, how you, you know, sort of came to be an investor in health and insured tech companies. And, and secondly, what sort of excites you most about these sectors today? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my path to becoming a venture capitalist has been quite nonlinear, which I think is true for most VCs you'll come across. I've been in and around the periphery of healthcare for most of my career. As you mentioned, I started my career at GE Healthcare in corporate finance, rotated through a number of businesses. And towards the end of my time at GE, I became really interested in this concept of social enterprise. So it was some work that was pioneered by business school professor C.K. Pralahad. 
And there was this concept around the base of the pyramid. So building sustainable businesses for the 3 billion people that live you know, under $3 a day. And I was really inspired by his work and decided to move to India to help build and scale an early stage rural healthcare business. This was kind of the early days of telemedicine. So combining clinical decision support systems, low-cost pharmaceutical drugs, empowering local women to serve as a liaison between the communities they live in, but also the populations that are in those communities, along with providers. Came back stateside and joined a large privately held CPG company, which is Mars Incorporated, was in a number of roles there. And before sort of joining venture capital uh, and moving into venture capital, I was helping to build an affordable nutrition business also focused on the developing markets, notably India and Africa. Late 2015, I had the unique opportunity to both join and help start a venture capital firm, which is Digitalis Ventures. Kind of given my experiences to date, coupled with what was happening in digital health around just innovation in the healthcare ecosystem, I pretty quickly leaned into healthcare technology as a deep area of interest. And that was also a pretty natural segue into InsureTech, just given kind of what we were seeing on the technology front uh, and also led us to Brella, which we're extremely excited and bullish about. You know, in terms of what I'm most excited about, as you both know, healthcare is one of the least digitized sectors. And, you know, I think over the past decade, we've seen significant innovation and investment in companies that are building technology-driven solutions. And that tide's beginning to turn. COVID certainly was a massive accelerant in that regard. And when I think about healthcare technology and the landscape, for purposes of illustration, I often see sort of six well-defined endpoints or some combination of the following. So one is companies that are focused on improving outcomes for patients, improving access to quality care, providing a better patient, consumer, or employee experience through a better product or service, providing a better provider experience through software or technology, finding ways to increase coverage of health insurance, and then finally, driving efficiency and reducing costs in the healthcare system. And that last point I think is really a wraparound for all the other points. You know, in particular, there's been a strong emphasis on cost containment strategies, whether that's for health systems, providers, you know, pharma payers, or patients themselves. And I think there's a pretty obvious reason for that. You know, over the last 50 years, we've seen a tenfold increase in healthcare from on an inflation-adjusted basis from around 400 billion to 3.8 trillion. And so when you start to look at how those costs trickle down to families and individuals at an N of one level. You know, whether it's high deductible health plans, the inability to pay for care, the lacking access to quality care, it's not affordable and it's not sustainable for anyone. And so I'm really bullish that we can leverage data and technology to build significantly better models to solve some of these pain points. And I think we've seen some of these models emerge over the past decade, but I think we're still in the early innings and there's a ton of opportunity for value creation across the healthcare value chain. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I, I, I think this idea of being able to sort of challenge the way things have been done forever and, and you know, sort of think through new business models makes a lot of sense, but that, that's not necessarily, you know, a new thought. So I guess I'm curious when you think about this and your experience, you know, either at some very large organizations or now in your, your sort of current role, why do you think that's the case, right? I mean, why has it taken so long? to find some new business models that, that are you know, not necessarily early innings, but are more progressed and further along? Because it just feels like this topic's been a topic forever, right? And so I'm just curious as your thoughts to, you know, wh- why has it been you know, maybe slower than we would expect? Yeah. So I think a few thoughts. One, my comment around sort of the digitization of healthcare. I think 
you know, EHRs, as we know, were created for uh, billing purposes. They weren't necessarily created for patients. And I think that was, you know, a pretty large technical innovation just in terms of bringing technology to health systems, to providers. But know if we significantly moved beyond that. And I think not, you know, it's not until the last five or six years where we started to ask a slightly different question, which is thinking about the patient, thinking about the consumer, thinking about the employee. And I think with that has, you know, there's been a lot of interest in finding ways to kind of flip that model on its head, which is there's an incredible amount of data that's being generated, an incredible amount of data that's being captured, but it's all living in silos. And so what we've realized is I think if you start to capture some of this information, you can streamline and drive efficiency across you know, a number of different sectors within healthcare. I think the second point is you know, healthcare, for better or worse, is, is an industry where I think the power, unfortunately, is concentrated you know, with certain individuals in the value chain. So for example, payers hold a lot of power, whether they're regional payers or national payers, a lot of the power is concentrated with them. Health systems have a lot of pricing power because of, we've seen continued consolidation. And so I think as an individual that you know, has employer-sponsored health insurance, it's one of the few aspects of our life where we actually don't have a lot of choice. You sign up, you, know, you go and click on a bunch of boxes when you join a company, and that's your health plan. Yeah. I love what you were saying about sort of the early stages of digitization. It's a hard word to say, um, but really like bringing technology into any sector. I find that, that this is the pattern. Like in, early in my career, I was in digital advertising. And in the early part of putting ads online, they were called insertion orders, which is from when you buy an ad in a magazine, you insert the page, Right but an insertion order online makes no sense. But that's the language we had, right? And the the banners were basically digital billboards because we thought like out-of-home advertisers, right? And so similarly in healthcare, you've got, you know, you can digitize your electronic medical records and you can make an app to do certain things, but it takes a next level of thinking to understand how does technology unlock opportunities to change the entire product, right? Because then digital advertising down the road became, you know, Google keywords. This is just a totally different model for thinking about how to connect buyers and sellers online. And so the same thing has to happen in healthcare. And that's the thing that excited me the most about Barella. Honestly, we talk a lot about this, that the technology allowed us to create a different insurance plan than we would have made. We didn't just put an app on top of an existing insurance plan and vice versa. The plan allowed us to do different things with technology. So anyway, I want to ask you to press a little bit deeper into the specific trends and opportunities that you are the most excited about right now in 2021. Yeah. So I think in 2021, we're going to see, I think, some of what we started to see in 2020. So first it's, and we're focused on care models that are designed around subpopulations. All care is not created equal. And so we're seeing the emergence of these novel care delivery models focused on specific populations, such as the Black, Brown, and Asian communities, the LGBTQ community, you know, healthcare focused on men, healthcare focused on women, and focused on marginalized communities where historically there's been inequity in access to care. And if I double click on that last point, you know, it really an increased focus on underserved populations. If we look at Medicare Advantage, I think we've seen a lot of innovation both on the services side and on the insurance side over the last few years. 
But when we look at Medicaid, you know, there's, I think, a ton of opportunity. You know, it's a complex population due to challenges around yeah, engagement, education, ability to access quality care. And so I think we're going to start to see more community-based approaches that factor in both social determinants of health, but also companies that have a deep understanding of the structural challenges at play within these communities, which historically and unfortunately have sometimes been overlooked. So that's kind of one area that we've been focused on and we'll continue to focus on. You know, another is at-home care. And so this concept of shifting the site of care from a clinical setting to an at-home setting, if you don't go to the doctor because you can't you know, access a provider, whether it's you don't have transportation or you can't get there or for some other reason, what you'll find is that'll often lead to poor outcomes because things exacerbate and then you end up in the emergency room. And so these new models are emerging where they're able to actually send someone to your home and provide care at your home. And it's not always a provider, but it could be you know, an ancillary support staff using telemedicine. And the theory here is you longitudinally are able to see people at their home, provide care, and hopefully reduce costs and improve outcomes in the process. And so we're really bullish on this category. I think we'll see more of this you know, over the next few years. The role of financial technology in healthcare. So you know, we look at fintech. How do we take some of the infrastructure that's been developed there and apply that to healthcare? Uh, we started to see some really interesting companies in this space, and I kind of break them out into two buckets. You know, one are companies that are consumer-facing tools or marketplaces that provide transparency. So I know the total out-of-pocket costs for a, you know health visit, a lab, medical procedure, or a test. There's no surprises. That's huge. <laughs> Yeah. And the second area are tools that support patients to actually pay for care. And that could be in the form of financing options, that could be in the form of a, a novel, well-designed HSA or FSA, but anything that can really alleviate the burden of high out-of-pocket costs associated with care. And then the last category that, and we're excited about a lot, so <laughs> there's, there's quite a few areas here. Um, the last category that we've been spending time on is InsureTech. I think we'll continue to see you know, innovation around the actual plan design itself. As I mentioned earlier, I think there's you know, too much power concentrated with the large national and regional carriers. And I'm bullish that some of these new plans that are emerging can actually provide a better product that is attractive for employers, for brokers, for employees. But unfortunately, as an insured tech startup, no matter how much you integrate technology into your offering, you ultimately have to have to make the policy unit economics work and convince employers that the switching costs are worth it. It can be challenging, but as premiums continue to rise, I think we are seeing demand pull in the employer market for these sort of novel, innovative products. So we're really excited about this space. And again, this is you know part, partly our thesis around umbrella as well as just why hasn't this existed before? It just makes so much sense to have this catastrophic care plan. And then kind of the last piece, and I'll be brief here, is just Coupled with InsureTech are really these digitally enabled offerings that are focused on chronic condition management. So whether it's diabetes, musculoskeletal health, mental health, how do we provide better offerings at, for employees where you can, you know, they serve as early detection or they're digital tools that employees or patients can engage with to get the care they need when they need it versus, you know, sort of signing up for something that might be available on an employee benefits you know, portal. Um, which as at least I've got on one of those and really hard to navigate. So I think some of these new offerings are, are pretty interesting and, and we're seeing a lot of tailwinds there as well. 
That sounds super fascinating. And so, I mean, I, I want to ask you to be more specific about some things because I'm thinking about our employers and brokers who are listening. And I'm wondering if you can articulate if there are specific products, companies, um, benefits that they should be looking into. And as part of that, will you just articulate for our audience, like what about Brella makes you bullish on the company? not really to pat us on the back, but just to sort of situate us within this landscape of sort of the new things that are coming out and what's different about them. So I think what excited, and I'll talk about Brella first. I think what really excited us when I first spoke to Veer was I had this sort of why doesn't this exist moment. Like it just seemed so obvious. So, you know, and you guys know this really well, but take the legacy model for products, pretty clunky, Got to have, have to sign up for hospital indemnity, critical care, cancer, put those all together. Those accident plans. Yep. Yeah. And then once you've put those together, you're still looking at, you know, lengthy payout times, somewhat poor coverage. They're still not covering everything. And the product experience is not what we've come to expect with other categories. So if you look at home insurance, look at car insurance, you look at any other insurance product, you know, there's these beautiful ads that we see on TV. When you go to sign up, there's a marketplace where you can go put in some information. Someone reaches out. It's just such a clean experience. And I'm watching, I've watched what you guys do with Brella, where you've redesigned the entire product and you've made it simple, easy to use. And most importantly, you're solving a really big pain point for employees or their families, which is what if something happens? You know, if you don't have a lot in savings, there's this sort of risk of medical debt. And so when I kind of piece that together, to me, Honestly, it just seemed very obvious. Like this is a company that should have existed before. And you guys are taking a really sort of, you know, unique approach to kind of creating a new product, a new model. And it's existed in the past. It just hasn't existed in a format that's, I think, amenable to people signing up back at that employee portal. When you're clicking through options, it's just hard to kind of parse through all of what's there. That's what I love about Brella. And you know, we remain excited there. In terms of, of other products that I think are unique, I might kind of slice this in terms of condition, like chronic conditions or health conditions. So I think behavioral health and mental health is one area that is seeing a lot of both interest on the employer side, but also I think there's a demand on the employee side, you know, with everyone working from home right now, you know, we're sort of, it's Groundhog Day every day. I think we've seen, you know, a lot of challenges around mental health as employers are able to offer some of these solutions, whether it's accessing a psychiatrist or a therapist or having access to someone that you can speak to in a digital medium, they make it really easy to talk to someone, make it really easy to connect with someone. And the novelty here is really just the way the technology is used to kind of connect to people. Whereas the sort of status quo is I need to call my insurance company, see who's in network. In particular, in mental health, it's really bad. Right. And how you actually pay for that because you know we've got Talkspace has existed for a long time and you can you can get you know access to a provider if you can afford it right yeah and so it's about making that more accessible with ways that that you can pay for the service no absolutely you know there there's quite a few companies that have emerged in this category i can mention a few but you know lira modern they're taking different approaches to sort of connecting employee population with someone. And I think for me, you know, I use the term early innings. I think in behavioral health, it was the wild, wild west. I mean, I've, I've actually picked up the phone and called 
my health insurance plan just to sort of test out how this would work and asked um, if I wanted to connect with a therapist or a psychiatrist. And you actually get a bunch of names and you pick up the phone and you call. One by one. Yeah. And you often get answering machines or you, you, know, you hit a voicemail. And so that's 2020, 2021. There has to be a better way to sort of connect. And you know, there's companies like ZocDoc that are making that easier. But I think in that category in particular, there's room for a ton of innovation. So that's one. And the other I like is musculoskeletal health, which is really, I think, chronic pain or just whether it's back pain or whether it's you know some sort of condition that you're dealing with. I think musculoskeletal health, if you look at claims, is an area of a high degree of spend for employers. And so we're starting to see new models emerge there. Hinge Health, for example, is a digital PT company that has done really well. So that's another space that, that we're quite keen on. Not Hinge, Hinge Health. Hinge Health, correct. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, do, I, I really do appreciate the laser focus on specific conditions or, or categories of conditions. I mean, you talked about chronic and mental, but you know, I, I've got a, a significant background with you know, some of the larger disability carriers. And when you say musculoskeletal, that's the one sort of condition that just really resonates with me, not to mention the fact that I'm someone with a bad back chronically and and uh, but you never would have thought right how do you use technology to bring support to employees who may be challenged with some of these you know these conditions and uh, you know the one thing you just mentioned that that resonated with me was that sort of connection concept right because it's you know it's not like these services haven't existed before it's just that they may have been harder to get to and and I think technology is really allowing that connection point to be much faster and much easier. And uh, that's great. Love it. And thank you. We didn't pay you for the Brella comments, but if you want to join a, uh, a broker or employer pitch with us anytime, Amit, you can, you, you knocked it out of the park. So, so thanks for those comments. So let's, um, I guess maybe I could just ask you to sort of think about the other side of the coin, right? And that's, if you think about some of the headwinds, maybe as you've either, you know, considered investment opportunities or certain segments within you know, the, the space that you're focused on, what do you, what sort of, what are the one or two or three things that come to mind? Yeah. So, you know, from an investor perspective, we're generally looking for nonlinear growth during a somewhat defined timeframe to drive to liquidity in our investments. So in other words, how does a company scale fast and exit? And in healthcare in particular, when you're introducing a new concept, you know, a new product, a new service, it often requires wholesale behavior change, which takes time. So even if the product is significantly better than the status quo, due to switching costs and the willingness to adopt these new solutions, the path to scale can be fraught. And so this could be patients or employees engaging in a new healthy behavior that leads to long-term behavior change. It could be clinicians making changes to well-established clinical workflows, employers' willingness to adopt new programs and benefits from less established companies. And I think we've seen time and time again that a great product is table stakes, but I think the net net of this is for companies to try and show that their product is working as quickly as possible for their consumer or customer. And that goes back to some of the endpoints I described earlier. It could be decreasing costs, improving outcomes, providing a better experience. How quickly can you show me that there's an ROI? And it doesn't always have to be an objective KPI-driven ROI, return on investment. It can sometimes be a soft ROI. My employees are happier that they like this offering. And I would say during my sort of five, six years in venture, this has been one of the most difficult things. You know, it's often not the product or service that doesn't work. It's just the willingness to adopt and adapt to this new solution 
um, when you've just you know sort of gotten used to the status quo. It's probably true of other categories outside of healthcare, but I think in healthcare in particular, because you know it's so entrenched in sort of the legacy way ways of thinking, it's I think often harder. And this is I mean I can spend a lot of time talking about sort of just the behavior change component, but I think it's definitely for us one of the key things that we look at is just what change is going to be required at every level when we're making an investment. And I think, you know, I think this will continue to be somewhat of a headwind over the next, you know, next defined period of time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Change is really, really hard. I was going to ask you, you didn't mention COVID in that with respect to challenges, anything there that you think is going to have a lasting impact on the industry? Yeah, you know, this has been written about, you know, extensively by, you know, industry experts and other colleagues in healthcare and venture, but I think digital health truly had its moment last year, albeit for unfortunate reasons. You know, looking at some recent 2020 data, we saw that telemedicine usage was about 30% last year, so it was up 23-fold from before the pandemic. And there's some variation when you look at how that's spread across demographics or medical subspecialties, but Needless to say, it was a pivotal year. But back to my earlier comments, I think COVID was a, around behavior change. COVID was a forcing function. And so there was more organic search for healthcare services. And we're seeing through digital health startups that we're meeting, some of these companies are seeing exponential growth. So, you know, we talked to them one week and they're sort of slowly growing. And then post COVID, you know, 2000% growth, 3000%. And so, when I sort of look at this through the consumer lens, the cost of acquiring a customer went down for a period of time during the pandemic, which led to increased trial of new products and services. And that definitely led to conversion. And I think this is especially apparent in consumer healthcare, where you have these new companies that can deliver a seamless healthcare experience. So companies like Hims or Roe or Everly Well, you know, you're getting a first-class consumer experience in healthcare, which is something we're not generally used to. And so I think we'll probably revert back to somewhere between pre-pandemic levels and what we saw last year. But I do think telemedicine and digital health writ large is, is here to stay and it's going to be sort of a viable option for the foreseeable future. And so COVID probably moved, you know, five to 10 years of digital health growth all move that forward into one year, whether it's a health system, a provider, even a patient, you know, the way you seek out care. You know, if I was to ask a, a group of a hundred people, are you willing to talk to your doctor on the phone? I think, or, or through a video chat, I think the willingness to talk to someone through a digital medium has gone up significantly just because there wasn't a choice. You know, the choice was put on a mask, drive to a doctor's office where you've got other patients and you're in the midst of a pandemic, or I can see you, you know, face to face, you can set up a time and within seconds you're talking to that provider. And so I think that trial of actually doing it has created some behavior change. We'll see how much of that persists, but I think it's going to probably net out somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that's fascinating. Just COVID as a tipping point. I think that's a, a great way to look at it. All right. Well, um, before we let you go, but on every episode, we get a little nosy about your bookshelf because everybody who comes on the show is super successful and killing it at what they do. And we all want to kind of, um, you know, grow in our careers and grow as, as humans. And so I'm wondering if there is a book or a resource that's had a profound impact on you, either personally or professionally, that you think everybody should read. Yeah, this book called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, who's a former World Series of Poker champion. I definitely recommend that that book to listeners. One of the basic constructs she describes in this book is 
how we equate our results with decisions. And so good decisions precede good outcomes, bad decisions precede bad outcomes. And so in other words, we correlate the quality of our decision with the quality of the outcome. And she challenges that notion in a really thoughtful way. And I found the book to be a great framework around decision-making, understanding how our belief systems are formed, you know, our, our sort of biases that are in place, and really understanding the difference between luck and skill when we're doing something. So it's been, at a minimum, it's been really refreshing for me to just kind of reevaluate some of my own behaviors and seeking out truth when I'm having conversations or, or learning about something, just because of, you know, a lot of our beliefs are kind of set in stone. And so, yeah, I, I, I love the book. And I think she's recently written a new book that was just published last year that I'm looking forward to reading as well. That sounds fascinating. All right, cool. So that's going on the list. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. We know you're very busy. There's a lot going on. But I think this has been a really great addition to the conversations we've been having here, being able to like dig a little bit deeper into what's changing in the world around us and what are the new players and new companies and new ideas that are going to be taking us forward. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So Mike, I'm wondering, you know, we just discussed so many fascinating things. I'm wondering what's resonating with you. What are you going to take away from this? Well, the first thing is I do have to uh, second the Any Duke book. I've actually read that book and it, it is really good. And it, it ties not only to professional, but, but the personal side of our lives. So definitely give that one a read if you're listening to this. Again, big thank you to Amit. A couple things, you know, this concept of the concentration of power, right? And, and how that you know, he was spot on. I mean, it and how that impacts choice and limits choice, you know, for uh, for employees today, I think was a really interesting topic and, and spot on. And then, you know, I touched on this a little bit, but it, it, it resonates, you know, with me, you know, my, my daughter's type one diabetic, so very chronic sort of condition and top of mind for us, or, you know, he discussed mental health or musculoskeletal and just this, this concept of, making care more accessible and connecting employees to the right care through technology really is uh, was a, a fascinating topic and, and I'm glad he shared his thoughts around that. How about for you? Yeah, that stood out to me as well. This concept of more personalized care, specifically tailored for the needs of specific groups. So, you know, having especially a focus on improving equity and inclusion when it comes to access to care and taking into account, you know, specific challenges that might be cultural or systemic in other ways, I think is really, really fascinating. I know we really admire folks um, at some of the newer, like innovative women's clinics and, and things like that. There's just so much opportunity to make healthcare work better for people by taking into account the specifics of their situation and the other types of services they might need, whether that's social work or mental health care or whatever it is. And, and the other thing I was going to just highlight is, man, change is going to eat our lunch if we don't find a way to change as consumers, as, as employers, as brokers, managing change and being able to step up and embrace some of these better things is going to be 
you know, the key to whether or not we we are able to quickly remedy some of the things that are challenging about today's healthcare landscape, or if we just keep tolerating it for a long time, you know, and at some point, the cost of not changing has to become greater than the cost of changing. And I know, you know, for us as someone who's, who's saying like, hey, we could do supplemental healthcare, health benefits better. Why don't you come with us and try this? You know, I don't, Mike faces this every day in sales conversations. And, um, you know, we're going to be doing our part to make that as easy as possible. But yeah, it's tough. It is. I mean, it, this is, this, as I sort of said earlier, this stuff, these challenges have been around a long time and it does require people, companies, you know, really every stakeholder to be willing to take that step forward and drive change. And, and we're seeing it. And, and it, there is some encouragement there, but you're right. It, it's going to take a very concerted effort for us to continue to be willing to do that in all aspects of, you know, healthcare and employee benefits. And I do have to say thank you for the softball because the last takeaway for me was around, you know, amidst comments on, on what we're doing here at Brella and, and certainly appreciate, you know, his support and Digitalis's support. On, on what we're doing. So um, I'll wrap, Laura, with a, uh, a bit of a, a plug here. And on this topic of change, you know, we certainly are different. And, and if you're a broker and employer who's, you know, hearing this or listening, definitely reach out. Uh, you know, we are absolutely onto something here and continue to be so excited about what we hear from brokers who are engaged with us around the fact that we are different, not only on the insurance product side, but how we're leveraging technology to solve the challenge of you know, employees' uh, financial distress when unexpected health hardship strikes and how quickly we can put their benefits in their hands so that they're not taking the payday loan or setting up a GoFundMe or borrowing money from a family member or friend. You know, this this stuff can't wait till next fall. So uh, these challenges are real today. Holler at us, please. We'd love to talk to you. And, and we're really doing some great work here. So if you like what you heard, all it takes is an email to sales at joinbrella.com and you can get on this train with other uh, brokers in the Texas marketplace or employers that have already trusted us with the good work that we're doing here. So Laura, I'm going to leave it to you to uh, wrap us up, but this was a really terrific uh, discussion today. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zarillo from the Better Benefits Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.